The following presentation is brought to you by the KMmedia.pro network. Each channel is created to provide highly engaging and fascinating content presented in an entertaining light just for you. Please visit www.kmmedia.pro for complete information. So now, stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to My Independence Report. I hope that you'll join us as we declare our freedom from hate, division, and fear by bringing great guests and new thoughts and ideas for you in a fun, uplifting way. Please join me and my friends as we create a blueprint for a better way of life for us, our families, and the planet. A wonderful show for you today. At least I think it's going to be wonderful because the guest is wonderful. And unless I screw it up badly, we'll do very well. Thank you very much. Uh, so it is uh, Wednesday, December 15th. I can't believe there's 10 days till Christmas. I, just, I haven't done my shopping yet. I just don't, I don't know. Shopping's overrated. Uh, I, in my opinion, <laughs> I, I, I shop via the, the computer these days. In any event, we are going to talk today with Elizabeth, Elizabeth. <laughs> okay, tell me what your name is. We, we rehearsed this too. We, I know we did. When, and I, but my problem is, is that I get all excited and then I get discombobulated and stuff. So, <laughs> so in any event, um, the, will the guest please reveal her name? My name is Elizabeth Vanderweel. Uh, Elizabeth Vanderweel, and she is an author. She's also, she lives in, in my humble opinion, one of the greatest cities in the world, and she lives in one of the greatest places in that city in the world. Um, it's a place called Matthews Beach, which is, uh, that's by, and it, that was a place that when I was a kid, we used to go there a lot because um, we lived in the Ravenna district. And so it was, it was fairly close and it was a beautiful place. And, uh, and so how did you end up there? Oh, this is so my family grew in such a way that we didn't fit in our Capitol Hill townhouse anymore. Uh -huh. And so working with our property manager, which we had a very good relationship with, we found this house even before it was available for rent. So um, we came here. It's gorgeous. It has facilitated our sanity through the pandemic. Um, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be in 900 square feet in Capitol Hill oh, for the last year and a half. <laughs> the, only, yeah. the only thing that I like about Capitol Hill is it's fun to go watch people. I love Capitol Hill. I, you know, if we could have found a huge house on Capitol Hill would have stayed there. Um, I love being able to walk to any, anything I want. Um, here I can walk to the beach. Right. Right. And on, well, on Capitol Hill, there's some great restaurants. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of activity on, up there and, and it's, it really is a fun place to be. There's always something to do. Yeah. Uh, but my favorite block in the city is on Capitol Hill on 10th between Pike and Pine. Ah, beautiful area. Beautiful area. I used to drive a bus up there. Um, there you go. it was very, it was very nice. And the reason that we're talking to you today is that you've written a book and we're going to talk a great deal about that. And it's, uh, 
the book is about um it's about fear and fear is one of those things that that we either and the, the name of the book is apocalypse apocalyptic best practices apocalyptic best practices and we're going to talk about that and i gotta i gotta ask you about the name but but first we're going to talk about fear and uh my favorite thing about fear is um in 1976 a movie came out did you did you ever see jaws i did i couldn't even swim in a pool for months that's what i'm saying and it had it was an illogical fear that that there wasn't going to be a shark that was going to come at you in your pool but your mind starts playing tricks on itself and it says it gives you the what if scenario and uh and so that that was an unfounded form of fear and uh um we but we all have it we all have fight or flight and we all we all operate in a very uh, i think simplistic way when we're talking about it so first of all let me ask you the name of the book how did it come to be um apocalyptic best practices um came from sort of an evolution of my thinking and research since my first graduate program in literature um, I did my master's thesis on apocalyptic fiction in the U.S. And um, uh, different than how most people understand it, apocalypse is not the end of existence. It is, as R.E.M. put it, the end of the world as we know it. And world can be all sorts of things. World can be our worldview. World can be what, what we have access to. So all of those things can change suddenly and massively as we have been experiencing for the last couple of years. I would venture to say that we have, that this pandemic has become an apple. I can't talk today. I don't know what it is. Uh, I, um, but I, I think that it has been a life-changing experience that it can be described as an apocalypse. Um, because it's it, it it really has changed everything about how we live our lives on a day to day basis and what we do, where we can go, who we can see. Uh, we have to wear masks or not wear masks, depending on your viewpoint, and uh, get vaccinated or not get vaccinated, depending on your viewpoint. But it's all based in fear, uh, a lot of it. And you know how you're treated based on those choices is very different. And the truth is, apocalypses happen all the time. They happen on an individual level. If you good and bad things can initiate an apocalypse. So an apocalypse can be becoming a parent. Like your world is completely different when that happens. Oh, no kidding. I, I've and, experienced that apocalypse. Right? And an apocalypse can be, you know, the end of a long-term relationship. That's another kind of an apocalypse. It, you know people in the middle of the country having their lives destroyed by tornadoes. That's another kind of apocalypse. So it apocalypse is, it literally means rending of the veil. So what you thought was real and accurate no longer is because what you perceived has been ripped aside to reveal something else. Exactly. I mean, even something like, uh, the the blockbuster remember blockbuster video mm -hmm. they, they had like thousands of stores now they have none 
uh, yeah. the, for the people who work there and the and the ownership, that was an apocalyptic event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? and it's it's sudden and it's massive. It's it's not like you can't plan for it. I mean, you there's there's ways that so I call it best practices because understanding that apocalypses happen all the time, um, improving your flexibility, resiliency. Um, ways and your ability to pivot are all good ways that you can prepare for any apocalypse, even though you can't prepare for any apocalypse. You know, in your, in your book, you talk a lot about, and it's kind of a central theme that fear is not a bad thing and fear is, can be actually a good thing. Can you explain that a little bit? Um, emotions are neither good nor bad. It's, it's, it's just is, we have emotions and we do things when we feel them. Um, some of them are reactions that are like, we, we don't think about what we're doing when, and we find that we're suddenly doing it. Um, we can respond. So one thing about fear is it is one of our oldest feelings, um, neurologically, we we have feeling states, but our emotions are conditioned even before we know that that's happening. And again, this is not good or bad. This is just is. This is how social animals grow. Uh, and fear is our attention emotion. Ultimately, fear is pay attention. This is important. And what we need to pay attention to, what is important to us in that moment that fear rears up, we can have a reaction or we can have a response. Um, neurologically, our uh, reaction, our biochemical release that results in a feeling of fear only lasts 90 seconds. So if we're still feeling fear after 90 seconds, that's conditioning. And we, and we can change that conditioning if we choose. It's hard work because again, this started as infants. So if we want to change how we react, respond to fear beyond those 90 seconds, it's going to take a lot of work. It, 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 it's yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Cause you get, you get stuck in fear for, for whatever reason. Now you also talk about um, that fear is always something from the future that it's never mm -hmm. something from the past or the yeah. present. It's always in the future. What did you mean by that? So one of my um, favorite authors, Gavin DeBecker, who wrote a book called The Gift of Fear, um, said that the fact that you're feeling fear is proof positive that what you're afraid of hasn't happened. So even if you're afraid of a past hurt happening again, it hasn't happened again. It, that's all in the past. So if you're feeling fear about something, it's guaranteed that it hasn't happened because fear can only exist in the future. And the moment you enter the present, fear disappears. And even if the thing, so in this environment, there's a lot of uh, financial security fear, like people, how are we going to make ends meet? My job has disappeared. My job has changed in such a way I can't do it. Um, I've changed in such a way that I can't do that job anymore. How am I going to pay the bills? And even if it comes to that, you can't pay the bills. 
in that moment that you're trying to figure out and, and getting things situated, you're not afraid. You're just taking care of it. But it's in that preliminary um, thinking about how is this going to happen? What, what, what if, what if, what if that fear is most active and your fear is telling you this is important and pay attention to it. And that doesn't mean that you need to fight with your bill collectors. It doesn't mean that you need to stuff all your bills in a drawer and run run in the other direction. It means you need to pay attention and figure out the best way to respond to this. How do you deal with, uh, you know, because whenever I feel apprehensive or fearful about something, it generally starts right when I'm going to bed the night before, whatever it is I'm going to do. And so that that means that I'm not going to get very good sleep because I'm going to toss and turn and think about the fearful thing that I'm worried about that's going to happen the next day or or whatever. And and how, how do you quiet your mind and get away from that and, under, and, uh, and deal with it in a more positive manner? What I have found is helpful most of the time, and I'm not saying that I don't do this too, 3 a.m., all of a sudden all the things start going off. I don't know what it is about 3 a.m., Um, but what can happen is during your day, if you find yourself having anxiety or, uh, anxious feelings or fear coming up, deal with it. Don't stuff it and say, I'll, I'll take care of it later. Or I won't worry about it. Right. That we, we think that if we just ignore it, it'll go away, but that doesn't work because as soon as your mind starts to relax, as you're trying to go to sleep, all that stuff that you've been pushing back just surges forward. And that interferes with your ability to get rest that you need to take care of stuff. So um, our culture um, is is very fear-based. I think about this a lot as people talk about the attention economy and fear being our attention emotion. What better way to sell stuff than to scare people? It's a marketing tool. It is, literally. I mean, you can sell so many things. You can sell wars by getting people to pay attention to things and making them scared. Yes, indeed. Is there a difference between being fearful and being scared? Or is that just a difference in terms? Yeah, I think it's just a difference of terms. Um, I mean, there's, there's some subtle differences, but it's basically the same thing. And and I'll tell you, politicians use fear. Mm-hmm. Um, religious figures use fear. Mm-hmm. Um, many bosses use fear. Intimate partners use fear. Oh, <laughs> I forgot about that one. Uh, yep. Yeah, all the time. Um, fear of loss, fear of getting cut off, fear of you know a, a bunch of stuff in in, mm-hmm. in that realm. So um, we as as human animals use that. And a lot of us use it f- to try and gain an advantage over somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes it tough. How do we stop it? By aligning with it. So when someone is, so a lot of our, I, I refer to our fear as being weaponized in our culture. Um, and again, fear is neither good nor bad. It's just what you do with it. Just like money, money in and of itself is not good or bad. It's what you do with it. So with fear, 
to like get control back to to gain your independence of this weaponization of your very most primal precious emotion is to first just notice when it's happening that that can be the biggest thing just notice when someone is telling you something that is that they're trying to get you heightened like um i know like my parents uh installed a whole bunch of security things around their house moved into a gated community and they said well you don't want to be robbed i'm like have you ever been robbed well no but on the news like oh okay this it, now now you feel safe with all of this stuff well not always <laughs> so just notice so th- so many things right got sold right there to my parents making them afraid of something that has never happened to them well, you know, the interesting thing about home invasions, by and large, it's been my experience that people that get their homes raided have something in their home that somebody else wants and that they know is there. Uh, we had a neighbor that uh, used to, uh, he had a uh, food truck. And so he would do his food truck all day and he would come home and he had uh, a bunch of cash. And so, and people knew that he had cash in his house and they also knew they had guns in his house. Now we live two doors down and never one time, not once did anybody bother us, but he got raided three times um, because he had people got the fact that he had money and stuff and he didn't change his ways. But that's, that's kind of, you know, uh, how unfounded that fear can be. Um, Cause if you don't have a reason to, for somebody to invade your house, say, it people don't wander in randomly. I don't think. I could be Not wrong. Usually, well, especially especially in our culture, if you don't know who's living there and you don't know what what's in that house, we have three hundred ninety million guns in this country, and yeah. somebody's bound to have a gun in that house if you don't know if you you don't know any better. So mm-hmm. you know, so that's kind of an unfounded fear. Um, in by and large, if you just take care of business, so you can you avoid so that fear. I, I think I get where you're going here. You, if you are fearful that you're going to be, you're going to your house is going to be invaded. Take the steps that necessary beforehand to make sure that nobody's going to want to invade your house. Mm-hmm. Like you don't keep a bunch of money there. Don't keep drugs there. Don't yeah. keep a bunch of guns there because and those are all things that you can do proactively and that will eliminate the fear of somebody breaking in because you know that's there's no reason for them to well yeah and your fears let you know that this is important for you you want to protect your property you want to protect your stuff so you pay attention you take care of business and then you don't have to think about that anymore so you know as, as scared as my parents may have been or may still be they've taken steps to address the thing that was most present for them. And kudos, I mean, the good job there. And now now they're free to worry about other things. And it, it's interesting, like some people, and, and I'm sure you're gonna get a lot of comments about like, um, that I'm Pollyanna, pie in the sky, I can just think my way out of not, out of being afraid. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is continue to be afraid. Do not ignore your fear because then then it becomes the scary monster in the dark. But if you let it into light and really look at it and interrogate, like, 
I am afraid of spiders. Why am I afraid of spiders? What have spiders ever done to me? Um, you know, there's, there's like literal uh, phobias that it's just an unreasonable fear. There's no reason, there's no way to get around it. Accept that and then take care of business. Don't be around spiders. Um, but there's other things like, you know, the, with the pandemic, being afraid of getting a vaccine because you don't understand the science behind how it was created. Well, where is your biology degree? Like how you don't understand the science because you're not a scientist. Like the, ne the next time you can sequence some RNA, then, you know, we can have a conversation about whether or not this vaccine is valid and effective and not that dangerous for humans. Right. <clears throat> And that's that's important for us to make that distinction, um, because. But I, I I get your point because if you are our, our initial and we talked about this a little bit before we began, our initial thing with fear is fight or flight or fight or flight, where we either are going to fight or run away. Um, but there's a lot of more subtle things than just that, isn't there? Oh, yes. So what's very interesting, one of the first things I bring up in the book is that um, the study that was conducted uh, was conducted with male rats. And, you know, good scientists, good behavioral scientists published this work. And this was back in the 50s. And just like today, the media ran with a soundbite. Our natural response to fear is fight or flight. And in this study, they found that the response is this. Well, n at no time did this study include humans, um, let alone females. And uh, but it, this just became part of the cultural conversation is fight or flight when you're afraid. Um, in the 80s, this same study was repeated with humans that included men and women. Um, and it was a group of scientists that also included women and found two more human responses to fear. And they called them tend and befriend. Um, I call them care and connect because I like alliteration. And those are, so fight and flight both function to separate you from what's scaring you. Right. Uh, care and connect both keep you engaged. And this shows up in um, like when you're in a threat situation with other people, rather than focusing on yourself and how you're gonna take care of you, you take care of somebody else who's also scared. Or you connect with the, so in connecting, so the person that's threatening you, you make a real human connection with them and try to understand and engage what is going on. Um, and then there is also two more that in other studies of showing up and they're freeze and fake, um, which is also good alliteration. And those both function to buy you time. So freeze, I think we're familiar with that. They just like a lot of people just freeze um, in a startle or suddenly scary situation. Maybe it'll go away if you just hold still. Um, fake is when you like make yourself tough or try to make yourself invisible. So you're pretending some, you're, you're not so that the fear doesn't find you. And again, this buys you time to maybe do another thing or the fear, fear fearful thing just goes away. Um, so we have at least six 
that science has found that humans respond to fear beyond um, just what rats do. I would certainly hope so. We're not we're not rat like. We're we're much we're much more. Con- or, uh, um, I was going to say convoluted. Maybe maybe that's the real. And uh, you know, it's interesting when we talk about fear that because uh, you you mentioned uh, spiders, who I I have not met, ever met a spider that I particularly like, but on the I other love hand, spiders. <laughs> well, good. I had a girlfriend when I was in high school, and there were three. There were three daughters and a mother in the house. And when I would come over on a Monday before school, if I hadn't seen her for the weekend, there would be glasses, upside down glasses, all over the house because there would be a spider walking there, and they would take. They couldn't kill it, but they would take a glass and and put it over the spider. And then I was the one who was supposed to go in and, and take care of the of the spider because I was the tough guy, which also is a fallacy, by the way. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, we're a billion times bigger than a spider and they are way more afraid of us. <laughs> I would be. Right? Sure. And, and uh, but the, but there are movies like Arachnophobia and yeah. which which were the whole design of that movie or Jaws is another mm-hmm. one. Or the Freddy Krueger series, or any of that. We—that's part of the our culture—is that we go buy, we go, we go watch movies that try and scare us. Is that because we are deaf, or, or we don't have a full range of emotions, and we're trying to f- regain some emotional stuff? Why? Why do we go to scary movies? Um, I I think I I don't like. I like psychological thrillers, but I don't really like scary movies like gross things or pop-up jumpy things. Um, but it's it's an adrenaline rush. I mean, there's there's this whole biochemical cocktail that's released when you're scared and different kinds of scares like startle scare, um, you know, sort of the dramatic buildup scare sort of thing. Um, and, and it is a rush. I mean, the best drug dealer anywhere is in the middle of our brains. And I think that's part of the reason that people do it. And again, fear sells. Fear gets you to pay attention. So this is a way that people can feel like they have dealt with things. And then when they come out and they've survived this ordeal, they feel this euphoria. And even though it's completely manufactured, it's still a really great feeling. Which is why it, all the great ones, the bad guy or the, the one that causes the fear loses in the end. Yeah. Unless it's, you know, a series and you're hooked on that. Right. One, one would be uh, um, um, Psycho. You remember Psycho? Mm-hmm. And another one would be The Exorcist. Now, when I was a kid, The Exorcist came out and it was people wanted to go see that movie because it was gross and it was, you know, and we had spirits and she was spitting up pea soup and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we we thought that would be fun to go see. But uh, it also scared a lot of people Mm -hmm. Uh, and the idea of the exorcism and demons and and stuff. And now we have movies like Contagion. Yes. Depending on how you're doing you may or may not have seen in the last year or so. Exactly. Exactly. And by the way, we're getting uh, somebody 
FOG.FYI. I'm not quite sure exactly what that means, but uh, care to take a shot? Or, Candace, would you like to to uh, elaborate, por favor? Um, so. Yeah, I don't know what that means either. Uh, well, that's that's. <laughs> hopefully, we'll be educated here in a moment, and yeah. uh, and we shall see. But uh, you know, fear being what it is, um, I'm I and I get you know when we first started this conversation, I was like. No, I, I fear and fear. I don't know that that's a good thing, but it does. If it forces you to act in a positive way to avoid what you're fearful of, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Or sometimes it is engaging with what you're scared of. So for a lot of folks, doing something you've never done before is scary. And in order to grow and change and be um, different than you were as a child, you have to do things that you've never done before. And so in that way, our um, connect response to fear is very advantageous. And that's why I want a lot of people to know that we have a lot, we have this whole menu of responses to fear. And just because you're feeling fear, that does not dictate what you have to do about it. Exactly. You get to choose. And again, your most powerful tool is just noticing it. Just notice when you're scared. Notice your response beyond your reaction, because there's not a lot you can do about your reaction, especially in the short term. Over the long term, you can recondition yourself, but you can look at your response. Like, are you staying amped up beyond that 90 seconds? And if you are, how is that serving you? And it, and it might it might be a good thing. It might be a good thing for you to stay amped up about, about this because it's kind of a, a long process that you've got to deal with. But for the most part, we get amped up about things that are happening in our brains that are not happening in shared reality. And it is very um, detrimental to our physical as well as our mental well-being. Um, the cortisol dump that happens in what is basically a distressed state um, is, is serious and it can lead to all sorts of particularly cardiac problems. So notice, just notice when the fear is popping up if it is the same situation over and over again, you may want to take a look at that and see if you can deal with it differently or leave that situation. Or um, maybe this fear is telling you that you just need to take some time. This pandemic is scary as hell and we can't really do anything to make it go away. So taking that sort of care response to or the sometimes even the freeze response like i'm just i'm just not even gonna I'm, i've stopped making plans for one thing and we are in this sort of holding pattern until something can move and so we have these lots of different ways to respond to fear that are unique for each of us we just need to listen we just need to listen to this great ally that helps us live our best way for each of us. You know, I one time went to um, Hawaii with my family, and there, and I uh, went to Kauai, beautiful island, beautiful place. Loved to, uh, loved to snorkel, just loved it. Couldn't keep me out of the water. 
I just it, it was just the water was warm. It was beautiful. It was nice. We went to a place called the Tunnels, which is on the north side of the island. And as I was snorkeling, minding my own business, I started to see, you know, like the the reason they call it tunnels is because there's coral and there's like holes in the coral. And oh, okay. I was very, very happy. And then my mind started to go, what is in that hole? Could that be something that's going to hurt me? And and so and or is there a shark by nearby? I start thinking about Jaws. I could hear the music in my head, and and stuff. Why is it that we do that to ourselves? Because that was an unreasonable fear on my part. Because it, it made no sense. Because I there was no evidence um, that, that that there was fear. Um, actually, it's because we're animals, and you saw a dark space and you were vulnerable and there could have been a shark in there. There could have been, you know, a moray eel that was going to bite you or a lionfish that could sting you. I was thinking um, the very same thing. Yeah. So dark passages, you need to pay attention. And that is why fear is going to come up every single time. And it's good because as we talked about briefly beforehand, people who aren't afraid tend to die. That, that's true. And as an example, I will never understand why somebody voluntarily will go up in an airplane and jump out of it um, at, at like, like 8,000 feet or something. It's like, why would you do something like that to intentionally uh, scare yourself silly? I, I don't understand why people do that, but that's just me. Um, yeah, I've wanted to do that. <laughs> have you? Yeah. <laughs> Well, see, and that's that's the thing is that there are there are people that yeah, for me is it, it would end up badly. I I would know I know that it would end up badly. So I wouldn't I wouldn't do it just for that very reason. That's uh, that's a good way to pay attention to that. Exactly. Now, now there is an acronym that I want to bring up here. Uh, have you have you heard the acronym uh, false evidence appearing real? Yes. What do you think of that acronym? I think that it is uh, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so false evidence, what, what does that mean? If there's evidence, is it, has it been planted? You know, like we're talking about movies or marketing or politicians or whatever. Um, is that false evidence? Or is it something like you see a dark passage and you're scared that something might hurt you that comes out of that because you can't see into it? Both of those are evidence of possibility. Um, and again, we're, we're talking about the future. Nothing has happened. Um, and if you are afraid, your current reality dissipates that. So um, the, the false evidence appearing as reality, reality is what we make it, like literally, we create reality with our brains. Um, and what is happening is not scary. What could happen is what is scary. And a lot of times that comes purely out of our fantasy mm -hmm. uh, of because it's not necessarily unless you like you're confronted with 
uh, somebody that's got a knife in there are intent upon doing bodily harm to you. I can understand that. That's a very real fear. Um, But when when that knife is in your face, and, and I have had, I've been physically threatened. So I know that when that threat is in my face, I am not scared. I am laser focused on what I need to do right now. And afterwards, when when I was able to, that's when I collapsed and freaked out. It, you know, uh, you're right. You're right because I've had the very same thing happen in 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 an in instance where you are, um, where where somebody's coming at you, and you know that there's going to be a confrontation, or or you start to get into a fight. I'm more. I was more scared about getting into a fight before the fight than I was during the fight. Exactly. Uh, because I was scared of what the implications of what all could happen. But when you're in it, uh, it's, it's completely different. And then, then your, your mind takes over in a, in a really marvelous way. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. And in, in the immortal words of Edna Mode, luck favors the prepared. So if you are, um, you know, concerned, afraid, that you're going to be physically attacked, take some martial arts classes, make sure that your, you know, nutrition is good. Make sure that you have the ability to respond. If that situation comes up, um, some self-defense classes, things like that, rather than just con- continue to spin on, Oh, what am I going to do if I get attacked? Well, you, you take care of it. Now you prepare now and hopefully it never happens. But in the meantime, you know, you get some good exercise and some great mental discipline. When my kids were growing up and we'd be walking through downtown Seattle, um, I would say, you know, don't be afraid. Be aware. Uh, be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of what's what potential there is for somebody to come at you. And that eliminates. And I guess it was it would be driven by the fear of something happening, but rather than just being afraid and freezing, like you were talking about, you are, you are afraid. And so you're taking action to prevent whatever you're concerned about and being aware can, uh, can help you, especially, um, as a young, as a, especially as a woman in this day and age, being aware of your surroundings, um, being aware of what's what's happening there, and and not putting yourself into needlessly dangerous situations, and fear can help you uh, negotiate through that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as a woman, like there are very few situations that are not dangerous. Um, That's so sad. It is. It's ridiculous. And when my daughter was little, um, part of what I helped her with was where we're walking around, um, even even before we were out with crowds, I taught her that if I say there's a predator, she knows to get next to me and hold my hand. Because I was teaching her that the predators we have to be most concerned about and pay attention to are human. And they don't look a particular way, but you can pick up on that energy. And so I taught her, um, and this, this is the preparation thing. So fear, fear of my child being hurt helped me prepare both of us for that possibility. And so in the moment when we're walking around downtown, we're not like shaking in our boots and, and like holding our car keys in our hands all the time. 
we know that what we need to do and what we can do. You know, it's so sad because there, there are people in people in our world. Um, Ted Bundy comes to mind. Very good looking man. Looked like a, 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 a well-bred, uh, very, very uh, intelligent human being. And he so he could he could make people feel comfortable and lose their fear and then and get into his car. And then it was too late. Um, so you you you're right. Fear can be your ally if mm-hmm. if you use it correctly. By the way, we're talking with, and I'm not going to even attempt to screw up your name again. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> it's it's an unusual it's an unusual pronunciation. Uh, so go ahead, Elizabeth Vanderweel. Elizabeth Vanderweel. Okay, you say it a couple of times, and I can get it. I'm I'm, I'm an auditory learner, apparently. Um, um, and, uh, the, the name of the book is, a uh, ap- <sighs> I can say apocalypse, but, uh, uh, and the name of the book is apocalyptic best practices, a unique approach to fear and change. And you can pick that book up and virtually anywhere. Um, and, uh, you can order it from, uh, Am- I know it's on Amazon, but you can, it's order on it Amazon. From, you can I order did take it. a few copies to third place books north of Seattle in the um, I love that, that in, in Lake uh, Forest Park, I yeah. think is the little town up there. Yep. 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 Yes, indeed. And uh, you are now you're a doctor, you're a PhD and you and your doctorate is in leadership. Explain yes. that to me a little bit. I haven't heard that term before. Yeah. Leadership I have, but not the PhD part. Right. Um, it When I started in 2003, it was one of the very few programs in the United States that, um, in its Gonzaga University, um, interdisciplinary degree in leadership studies. And what was most appealing for me and why I went for it is I tend to be a generalist. I'm insatiably curious. I know quite a bit about quite a bit. And the thing with most PhD programs is they want you to go narrow and deep. But with leadership, that doesn't work. You can't be good at just one thing and be a good leader. You have to like understand psychology, sociology, policy, politics, all of these things. And um, so it really appealed to me. Also, I tend to teach regardless of what role I have, I am teaching. And for me, and I think for a lot of people, there isn't a lot of difference between a good teacher and a good leader. I agree. I agree. I never thought about it in that term in, in before, but you're right. Uh, because oftentimes a good teacher is a good leader. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And good leaders tend to teach. Well, that's, that's how they accomplish what they intend to do. Because there isn't a leader, there isn't a real competent leader in, that I'm aware of that wants to do everything themselves. They mm-hmm. have they have to solicit um, other people to to help them and everybody work together for a common good. And mm-hmm. I was talking with a gentleman yesterday the, about that very issue, and he was working with executives to try and get them to understand a new way of leadership, rather than rather than leadership by fear, leadership by communication and working together for the betterment of all and and including all mm-hmm. uh, 
and stuff like that. So it was, uh, I, I, so you've taken that and, uh, have you applied it in and have you been in management? Have you, how, how have you used it? I, yeah, people would ask me that when I was in the program and they're like, what are you going to do with a degree in leadership? I'm like, well, take over the world. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yes, so I'm, I'm doing that subtly and slowly. Um, I have been a, an associate dean for a college. I've been director for academic programs, um, senior manager for learning programs and nonprofits, and um, as well as a professor in different institutions and capacities. So it's I'm I tend not to get the front seat so much, but I'm definitely tend to go towards the navigator seat. <laughs> well, you know what? You take less bullets that way. Maybe. My my dad was in Vietnam in the Air Force, and yeah, all of them everywhere. First of all, is he still with us? He is. Thank him for his service. Yes, every day. That yeah. is, uh, you know... Vietnam was was a horrible experience had by all, and especially the guys that went there and came back and nobody cared. Um, yeah. Nobody took care, and it was. And I hope I hope that he uh, came through it okay and and is is doing well now. It sounds like it. He's he's doing well. It was it was tough on us little kids too. We didn't understand what was happening. Well, so especially now. How old were you during that time? Uh. Five and six. Did you ever watch the news? I don't remember. Because Walter Cronkite was uh, on yeah. Channel Seven. He was the guy, and uh, and he had a segment every night about Vietnam, and they showed statistics and how many people were had been killed, how many uh, Viet Cong had been killed. They showed people. They showed dead bodies all the time. I um, am positive my mother did not let us see that. That's a that's a really good thing because talk about fear, but fear mm -hmm. of losing your dad that would have been that would have been paramount in your consciousness. Yeah, I mean, I I have this impression that I thought he was just on an assignment. I didn't understand war. I didn't understand what was happening, and I just knew that he wasn't home for my birthday. <laughs> that sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, but again, thank him for his service. Yeah, um, for sure. Well, we're coming to the end of our time together, young lady. Uh, is there anything? And so this is the time that I will will open up um, uh, the soapbox and allow you to, to tell our audience anything that you'd like them to know about anything. Oh, just re renegotiate your your relationship with your own fear. It it is there to serve you, um, and when you use this for yourself, for your own purposes, amazing things will open up for you. Um, I call this apocalyptic best practices. It includes practices. Um, one of my friends who read the book, um, the practices, the, the exercises are in these gray boxes. It's like every time I came to a gray box, I had to stop. And it, it can take some time to work through this. There's, it's not a race. There's, there's no expectations. You don't have to necessarily do things in order or do all of them, but just getting some understanding of what is physically, neurologically going on within you when fear is activated 
and what you can do with it is an amazing way to declare your independence from the weaponization of fear in our culture. I like that because you're on my independence report and you're declaring your independence from that. That's, <laughs> that works out very, very nicely. Uh, I, I, I worked on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did, you did very well. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. And Thank you, Kevin. Uh, this has been a great conversation. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. I, I have enjoyed it immensely. Um, and I really, I really hope that uh, people will go get your book. And uh, and it's actually more of a, it's a bit of a workbook, isn't it? You could you work through it. Yeah, and I left a lot of white space on the pages. Um, I know that this will be a heresy for some people, but please write in the book, write your notes, write write down what comes to mind as you're reading different sections, and have a conversation with the book, with, with me, there's lots of my stories in this book. Feel free to write in it and come back to it over and over. It can be very helpful for you long-term in a whole myriad of ways. Mm -hmm. uh, because it and it has really cool pictures. Um, my illustrator, Metz Schulte, did these great illustrations for people that take things in, in a graphic format. We worked really hard to create these illustrations to uh, convey concepts without words. And she did some amazing work. And by the way, you have a beautiful website too. And you talk about her and, and you and, and on that website, which the website is. Elisabethvanderweel.com. That is just amazing. That's a unique yeah. name for. How convenient. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yes. Indeed. It wasn't taken already. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> I don't under, I don't understand that, you know, uh, but it, it worked out really well for you, and and uh, I I hope that uh, you your book continues to sell well, and and uh, you because you're in it to help people, and that's yes. that, that's the coolest thing. So, yes. is there anything else you'd like to add before we go? Ah, uh, we're we're animals, and we're doing animal things, and it's fine. You're not. It's not good or bad or indifferent. Whatever you're doing is the best you're doing. And if you can do better, you will. I couldn't have said that better myself. <laughs> hopefully I'll get my vocabulary down and do better. That would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, got, you got to work on your Canadian accent. That'll help. I know. I know. I do. <laughs> I, I got to. So uh, let's see. Um, Alisa, Elizabeth is has been our guest and she has got the book uh um apocalyptic best practices and very good and and is and it's, it's not an end of the world book it when uh, she uses the term apocalyptic chimney christmas apocalyptic um she uses that term as as that it it happens to us all the time because mm -hmm. we've all got and this pa pandemic is as an example is an apocalyptic event uh, mm -hmm. Because it's changing humanity. Yeah. Not and what we thought was true before isn't true anymore. And it will sadly never be true. Never be the, we'll never be able to go back to the way we were. And thank goodness, because some of that was really yucky. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So thank you again, my dear. And you have yourself a wonderful day. And just stay right there. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. 
Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other is all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.